to this week's episode of Ladies in the Lead. I'm your host, Joan Garner, and I just want to say welcome. Welcome this week to an exciting episode. I'm really honored to have interviewed Miss Ashley Wiebe. And Ashley is from Muscatine, Iowa. She is the FFA advisor at Muscatine High School and is doing big things down there. Um, If you're not familiar with that community at all, They've had a legacy advisor there, Dave Fowler, for years, and he had retired and passed away, and Ashley was a student teacher for him and really connected with the community and was able to come back and take over a program that had exploded under Dave's um, guidance. She, though, don't don't doubt what she's doing down there. She's doing big things. And Ashley will tell um, in this episode about her journey and about her story coming from Minnesota, being the oldest of eight kids in her family, and how she's taken some big risks and put herself out there and maybe not taken the most conventional path to how she's gotten to where she's at today. I think the story is huge, and I love how Ashley talks about some of her thoughts and her ideas on why she chose a junior college in Wyoming versus coming to Blackhawk. Um, she wanted to network, right? She wanted to meet new people. How she ended up, um, you know, passionately pursuing clipping and fitting because when she watched others do it, she thought, I could do that and I can make money at it. Um, I love too how she's a constant learner. You're going to hear her talk a lot about. Um, just, just how that makes a difference, how it's her edge, like to learn constantly. She loves podcasts, ah, loves ladies in the lead too, I hope. Um, and how she loves to continue to learn. But if you listen to the story, you'll hear that throughout the whole story. She's been a learner since she was, um, I think little and, and through her whole journey, Ashley talks, um, and gives such great advice about not being afraid, about just to go for it. Fake it till you make it. Find the confidence. Find a way. But you know what? I don't want to give away all the fun in this episode before you get a chance to hear it from Ashley herself. You guys, I hope you know I have been working hard and thinking about you all and putting together these episodes means so much to me. So thank you so much for taking time. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Ladies in the Lead as much as I have enjoyed putting it together. So let's get started, Miss Ashley Weepy. This is Ladies in the Lead, and of course, I'm your host, Joan Garner, and today we're here in Muscatine with Miss Ashley Weeby. How are mm. you? I'm great. Good. Yeah. I'm, and we're here right after school. Right after school. I mean, you like literally rushed out the door, and you have a, sh- a job shadower with you today. Introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Maddie Wellman from Donaldson, Iowa. Donaldson, Iowa, yes. yes. And you're in Iowa State? Yes, I'm a, I'm a junior at Iowa State. Three Iowa State are sitting yes, here. Yes, yes. Yes, I'm a graduate. Graduate and soon to be. be. Yes. Yeah, welcome. Thank and Maddie's you. just kind of shadowing us. I said, yes. oh, don't worry. This microphone works in 360, <laughs> so you can be on yes. as well. So today, of course, we're going to talk about all the things that makes Ashley like a lady in the lead, you know? Uh, yeah. One of the things, of course, is all of a stock show. So everybody wants to know, first of all, like how you grew up. I Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give everybody a little hint. You grew up in Minnesota. I did. 
How'd you get to Iowa? Um, long story short, kind of the ag industry, really. So I grew up. Uh, I've got a, I've got a large family that sometimes know. shocks a lot of people. What, ten? Uh, there are well eight of us kids, and then mom and dad. So there are ten. Okay, at like home, I was totally here. Facebook stalking. So yeah, that's yeah. Now I know all this stuff. Yep. Like I'm like I wrote some notes down because I'm like I like to know a little bit about you guys. So I was trying to count the sisters and the brothers and everything. And your family pictures are like. You look a lot like some and some... Uh, you can... That's the eyes. You can tell <laughs> yeah. when everybody does, like, the eyes wide pose. It's, a, it's the weeby stamp, man. Yes. So there's eight of you. There's and what eight. I can't tell is what number you are. I'm number one. You're it's, the I'm, I'm the oldest. It's shocking, I know, because I'm definitely not the tallest one of the group. No, the brothers are tall. <laughs> the brothers are tall, and actually, I'm, I will probably soon to be the shortest one of the group, because even even since some of our pictures were taken, even just this summer, I mean, some of the younger kids have shot up. Zach's grown, I don't know how many, he's the youngest, <laughs> I don't know how many inches here in the last couple of weeks, or, or months, or years, yeah. even. And sometimes yeah. it is weeks. Like, sometimes you, like, go, and they measure them for a school physical, and yeah. then by Christmas, you're like... Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or like this summer, like the first time I came home this summer, I'm like, dude, you grew a lot. And then the next show I came home for, I'm like, you need to stop seriously. Stop seriously. Yeah. Okay, so where in Minnesota are you from? Uh, the southwest corner of the state, so Bingham Lake, or if uh, anybody's familiar with like the Wyndham Jackson area, okay, um, kind of in there. Or if you need bigger towns, it'd be kind of in between Worthington and Mankato. So my parents are almost literally an hour from the South Dakota border and an hour from the Iowa border. So cool. So you so, have a great. So give us the landscape up there. What is it? Corn, beans, soybeans. Yep. Hogs. Lots of lots of crops. Kind of rolling hills. Um, lots of crops farming there, there's quite a bit of livestock production around us um hogs are pretty big um, minnesota's a pretty good sized pig yeah. state um turkeys would be definitely a big turkeys. thing a lot of turkeys especially down in our area um we kind of think of it usually in minnesota like the bottom third of the states where your kind of traditional midwest agriculture the crops the livestock that stuff is and then as you get further north mm-hmm. you start to run into like the apple trees and, and some of those other things mm-hmm. um and kind of more touristy or, or you get close enough to canada nobody cares anymore <laughs> no offense fish? no offense to any minnesotans <laughs> listening and yeah, or the know. lakes oh my gosh ten thousand lakes everybody goes to fish you know there's yeah. water everywhere so. yeah so did you grow up on a family farm i did yes um so we grew up on diversified crop and livestock farm uh dad row crops um probably thousand ish acres um and pretty much does most of it himself uh now uh, my brother jake kind of does a lot with him grandpa obviously did quite a bit until he retired he still likes to sneak out in the tractor yes. once in a while when he can you know it's most of those guys you just they just can't, you can't. stop. I know they they won't stop till they die, and there's absolutely in my book nothing wrong with that. Right, they want to die. That's where yep. that's where they want to be. Go out with their yeah. boots on. Yep. Yeah. So you grew up there, first of eight. First of eight. Yep. Yeah. And uh, we we did a little bit. Everybody's kind of shocked to know I was actually a pig kid before I got into the sheep and all that other stuff. So uh, dad fared to finish, and we raised. Uh, did some show pigs. Uh, he did quite a bit with Tom Farr. So we grew up going back and forth to Indiana once in a while. Uh, that was kind of some of the highlights, I think, in my growing up years is being able to go out there and, and travel with him and just getting to talk stock and get to meet people and, and see different parts of the area because those are those are big trips when you're a little kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was always fun. So we helped a lot in the hog barns. To go out there to, to buy production stuff uh, or to buy show, show stock? Show, show stock, stock. yeah. Okay. And he actually owned a couple boars with Tom at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd go back and forth, look at the boars, see if he wanted to buy any gilts. And it got to a point where... Like, the pigs were cool and all, but every time we went out there, I was more sucked into the, let's go look at the cattle, because um, farms have some, you know, 
pretty nice shorthorn cattle. And so I, I enjoyed probably going out and looking at the bulls and some of the breads and things probably more than I did looking <laughs> through the hogs. Um, so it's kind, of, it's kind of like one of those things, you know, whatever's around you the most, you, like we fared to finish growing up too. And I had zero interest in the hogs because you're around them all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was with you. I was a sucker for the cattle, but I had a really soft spot for Southdown sheep. And I went to a farm, uh, Cedar Crest Farms, Craig and Carmen Smith, oh, yeah, and yeah. they had these little South Downs. And I was like, oh, I just have to have one. It <laughs> was my introduction in 1979. I just had to have a South Down. I never did show South Downs. They were too short. But yeah, I get it. Like when you see cattle out there, like a shorthorn or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you end up bringing them back then and showing them? Or? Um, so at that point, no. So my, uh, my mom's side of the family, so all my family for the most part kind of lives in that general area. Cool. Um, and so um, and dad actually grew up on a dairy farm and then they ran some hogs and sheep and things too. So he's always kind of had some livestock in his background. Um, mom kind of grew up actually in the Twin Cities and then um, when her mom passed away moved down uh, with her aunt and uncle so we kind of call them grandma grandpa yeah um, so she grew up uh, they showed cattle and, and sheep and a bunch of stuff and they also dairied for a while as well um, so we've kind of had that livestock I've kind of had that livestock built into me a little bit and I've, I've loved it pretty much from the start so I grew up watching the aunts and uncle show and mm-hmm. going to you know watch and our at Minnesota State Fair, I think I missed it one time in my entire life because there was a bad tornado and mom didn't take us that year. I think what? I, I know. NTM, let's go. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, um, so it was always fun for us, but our kind of rule was we could go do some fun stuff with mom at fair, but then we always wanted to come back and watch the shows because mm-hmm. that was the reason we were there. And even now to this day, like, Forget the rest of the fair. Or, I'm yeah. there for the livestock show. So were you a 4-H or a... Uh, 4-H, uh, FFA, kind of did through. a little bit of everything. Um, so we got... Uh, so we started with the hog deal. Aunts and uncles were showing cattle and things, and I always wanted to show calf, and I, re- I was a sucker for the red ones. Those mm-hmm. were the ones that got me. Um, so I started out with shorthorns and uh, kind of started buying a few um, heifers when I was young and, like, still in high school. And so kind of started my own little herd from there that Dad... Uh, kind of helped me out quite a bit with, um, and, the, and the aunts and uncles kind of across the road and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also, they were into the sheep deal, so we kind of got started showing sheep from them uh, as well. And so we showed pigs kind of a little bit, just mostly because Dad raised them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we were probably hitting it quite as competitively. We did like the county fair thing. Um, we didn't get out and jackpot as much just because probably kind of when I was growing up, you just didn't really jackpot the pigs as yeah. much as like now people right, drag every a lot weekend. Of shows were terminal. Yeah, things I were mean, terminal. Things were yeah. it was different. Um, so we didn't jackpot as much. Whereas the sheep, we took out and jackpotted you know every weekend, two three times a weekend. So for us, that's kind of what we got hooked on a little bit more. And it was a lot easier than taking cattle out all the mm-hmm. time too. How as many, much as I liked it. How much gap is there between you and your siblings? So are, when you guys are going out, is it just you, or um, is there like four of you going? I mean, since there's eight kids, yeah. is it every two years? Is it? So Jake and I were pretty much. I mean, I think for a while people probably thought we were twins. Did just you call because them the Irish twins. Uh, like it was like Ash and Jake, like. <laughs> They're together all the time. I think, like, when I had my wisdom teeth out, uh, Jake went down to a sale in Oklahoma with some of the relatives, and everybody's like, where's Ashley? Because I think that was one of the first shows that we were not actually together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was odd. So we're about 18 months apart. 18 um, months. So we're pretty close. And then there's a couple years gap, about, I think, three, three and a half years gap between him and Brooke is the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple years, two years between her and Jesse. And then there's a little bigger gap. Um, between Jesse and Megan, 
Um, and so it's kind of like there's the four. older four and the younger four yeah. is kind of how it separates out now. Mm-hmm. Um, and now pretty much everybody's out of the house. Danny is the oldest one at the house. Um, and she's not as into like the showing the livestock as the rest of us are, which everybody's got their own passions. Yeah. Um, and then Zach would be the last one at the house and he just, he's kind of starting to figure out, does he really want to do this really competitively or is he just going to do it okay or is he not going to show? So he's still kind of in that learn and figure out what he wants to do stage because this is, Matthew is officially done now Mm -hmm. um, and Matt did it pretty competitively. Yeah. So. Well, I think I saw online like grand champion market lamb at the Minnesota State Fair. Or, yeah, or, you know, I mean, he's had might, some pretty good success. That might be competitive. Yeah, I don't know. Yep. You know that we've been pretty, competitive. So. Yeah. So for you then, wrap it. You know, as a leader of the top four, let's just say, because you probably all work together in the barn. Mm-hmm. Did you all share the projects? Did you? How'd you divide it up? Um, well, Jake and I definitely took a lot bigger role in the barn. Um, and I would say like the cattle side of things, I probably kind of dominated a little bit of that just because I was super invested at that point. I mean, I was spending, spending basically whatever money I could get my hands on, dumping it back into these heifers and trying to, you know, raise a few calves that I could try to sell and do some things with. So for me, I was, I was super invested and I was like tracking pedigrees, you know, just trying to learn as much as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. Um, so I probably took a bigger role just on the cattle side of things, um, getting them broke. And that's that's how I learned how to clip and fit was I just sat out in the barn and said, okay, yeah. we've got, you know, five calves that we're going to try to do something with. Um, I'm going to try to break them. And, you know, I made a lot of mistakes clipping. I did not know what I was doing when I started. My aunts and uncles kind of showed me like some of the basics, and then anytime Steerwalt was anywhere close by, I would jump over and go watch and just try to mimic as much as I could and went to mm-hmm. as many fitting and clipping things as possible. And You know, because you have to remember, like, I mean, let's see, that would be, like, what, 20-some years ago you started? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been out since, out of college since 2012. Yep. And then think about, you know, you know, 18 years prior to that. They didn't have clinics. No. They didn't have. They didn't I have mean, all the fancy. They don't, we didn't have, have stock videos. show you. We didn't, didn't have, have, you know, all the fun all stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah. In fact, we didn't even have little clippers. We had the big oasters, you know. Oh, you yeah. That's how, I, that's how I started was on the big ones, shearing heads and things like that. And then once I bumped to an Andes, I'm like, jeepers. I this like this. so much easier. I'm like, I like this thing good enough. I think I'm just going to do pretty much everything. So I can pretty much do everything on a big clipper, and I can pretty much do everything on a little clipper. So I can... The kids yeah. are always amazed. They're like, well, don't you need to, like, switch or something? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm I've, I've done enough of this now where I'm comfortable using whatever tool I am handed. <laughs> I might not be the best fitter. I might not be the best clipper, but I'm darn sure going to give it everything I've got. Where do you think that confidence came from? I know being the oldest helps. Yeah. Oh, but, for sure. You know, I mean, and being the oldest of, like, you got everybody's looking at you, like, okay, Ashley, I mean, you're like, yeah. okay, well, let's go, you know, because I'm sure mom and dad were busy on the farm, and mm-hmm. they had, you know, more children, and, I mean, things aren't just happening, but did you just always have your confidence about, like, to go try it and start and do? Well, I think I just, I liked doing so much with the livestock that I wasn't going to let something that I could do mm-hmm. hold me back, and to, like, okay, the one of the first heifers I showed, uh, her name is Paprika, love that oh. girl. Dad hated her because she kicked him all the time. <laughs> uh, she was kind of a brat, honestly. But anyway, the first time we were going to go show, 
we're like, okay, we need to get this thing clipped. At that point, I didn't really yeah. know a whole lot about it. And so my Aunt Stacy took us to go get this heifer clipped. And we got done, and it's like, oh, 75 bucks, which in the grand scheme of things, that's pretty cheap for getting a heifer clipped. But, um, back, but then you're like, but, $75. I know, we're like, $75. And she turned to me, and she's like, I think you better learn how to clip. And at that point, I was like, I think I better. Because I could. I, at that point, the dollar signs were going in my head. I'm like, I think I could make money doing this. Or at the very least, save myself some money doing this. Right. And I was to the point where I'm like, I want to do as much as I can with the livestock industry. I just want to try to learn right. and m- just make myself a better stockman. Yeah. And at that point, I was starting to get involved a little bit with the judging stuff, too. At school? At, well, just kind of 4-H, FFA, kind of whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. county stuff. Um, and then I quickly learned that, you know, understanding how livestock are built can help you become a better clipper mm-hmm. and a fitter because you know the faults of the animals and you can hide them. And being a better clipper fitter kind of relates back to the livestock judging because you understand, well, okay, that can be covered with hair. That's probably not as maybe big of a deal as maybe some other faults or flaws are. Um, and just being able to look through that when you get Which to a contest. A, I think that's like such a huge point right there, that connection between understanding structure understanding the composition of the animal Mm -hmm. to being a good fitter clipper oh yeah a lot of people i think jump right in and just want to be able to fit and clip but if you don't understand the set of the foot you don't understand or maybe you know how the right you know they're tucked under or they're too far back or their front feet or whatever you can't see it right you can't see what you need to do to correct it right and that's why that's a good i mean i'm like that's such a powerful statement like to understand if you're like wanting to learn how to fit and clip you better go take some judging classes because you got to learn what you're looking at. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I tell our kids here all the time, I'm like, if you want to show and you want to be serious about it, you should at the very least understand kind of what you're looking for. Not only because it will help you select your animals better, but it will make you a much better showman because you understand this is why I'm showing this fault out. This is why on this sheep I have to get its top up. This is why mm-hmm. on this calf I need to pull the tail down. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why, you know, on this hog I need to drive it straight at him <laughs> and yeah. not let him see as much on the side, you know, because it'll make you that much better of a showman and, and just a stock person in general. Yeah. All right, so you finish up your career there. You go up to the best university in the whole country, Iowa State. I Thank took a pit stop before I got there, actually. <laughs> did you go? So I went. I did the junior college yeah. route. Um, cool, so where'd you go that I went out to Casper College in, in Wyoming and got oh to work. Uh, so I would have been on that team that Colby Birch was actually coaching out there. Did you go on scholarship for judging? Or I did, you? yep. Cool. So I got to go out there for the livestock judging, and then I got involved in kind of as much as I could. I did student council, uh, was on the ag club, uh, pretty much tried to do everything I could to get involved and, and just keep learning and growing. And I probably overloaded my schedule sometimes, but honestly I did better with more to do than if I yeah. kind of took it easy like, I think that's like a hard transition for a lot of kids in high oh, school. Like yeah. we are like small school kids, even Muscatine can be deemed small school if you're especially, you know, just doing the ag thing or whatever. We get our schedule so packed. We go to college and we're not quite sure like all this free time in the middle at the beginning. You don't know, you know, right? Yeah. Maddie, you figure yeah. that out. I mean, you're a junior oh, yeah. now. You probably got to figure it out. Like yep. that free time you're supposed to be studying, you know, right. or like doing your coursework. But you know, that's one thing. It's like, it's hard for some kids to go from such a to that kind of thing. So it's cool that you had those opportunities to jump into that. Yeah, and we were super fortunate too because Colby was kind of coming in with our team. And so he kind of like did stuff with us more than most other freshmen probably just coming into college did. So we went to probably way more contests as freshmen than I would guess 
most others just kind of starting out did. So that was super cool for us to be able to have that many more opportunities too. Yeah, and being out in Wyoming, how was that? Like, and I, It was interesting. Um, I really liked my time out at Casper. I, I thought it was a fantastic experience. I got to meet different people mm-hmm. than I probably otherwise would have. So for me, it kind of boiled down to, okay, I wanted to go the JUCO route. I know I want to judge. Where am I going to go? I looked at Blackhawk. Obviously, Blackhawk has huge, rich history. Yep. I was just a little afraid that, man, I know like – 100 people going here I don't want to get lost in the shuffle enough I know I'm coming back to the Midwest because I knew I wasn't probably going to stay out west so I know Mm -hmm. if I'm coming back to the Midwest I'll probably already know a bunch of these people and have some of those connections I want to go somewhere else where I can see a different part of what agriculture looks like go make some new connections go just get to see it's just something different yeah um and so I kind of wanted to do my own thing in that way that's cool I mean that's that's a big it was a it it's was a, a big thing. big like, deal. I was fourteen this- hours from home. I'd never really been. Did they just take the car? You drive out to Wyoming. Ash, it's been good seeing you. We'll see you at Christmas. Making it better yet, <laughs> we left directly from State Fair, made a pit stop at home, washed clothes, headed out. So I went from like a week solid of Minnesota State Fair to oh bye yeah literally we'll see you at Christmas. You, it's so weird, like you know. Yeah, and I'm sure no one because I'm a mother who has dropped her three children off at college. You, Put on the good face with it in the car. I'm sure she cried a little bit on the way home. Uh, but I was like, I'm sure you were like, wow. I'm out here like all by myself and like figuring yep. it, it was, out. It was, it was a little intimidating maybe the first couple of days. But the good news was, I mean, uh, I stayed in the dorms. And all of our judging kids were pretty much in the same dorms. So I got to know those people extremely Same quick. Way. And, you know, by the time you get through the first weekend of practices, and you know those people probably better than you really want to even <laughs> some days. All right, headed back to Iowa State. Yeah. Finished up. And how did you end ag education? Oh, that's a whole long story in itself. So I, for the longest time growing up, I wanted to be a vet. Um, that was what I wanted to do. I did some shadowing, thought it was awesome. I've always been super fascinated by anything medical, and I've... I'm now to the, that's probably a bad thing because I'm now to the point I've had enough surgeries where like I don't. Personally or on personally, livestock? Personally. Okay. Well, <laughs> on livestock too, but personally where I'm kind of, they call me the bionic woman sometimes. Um, so I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing. I'm that fascinated with the medical side of things. But I got to a point where I'm like, man, I really don't like math that much. I don't know if I can handle sitting that long. The, the thought of sitting through that many more classes and having to go that many more years to get through vet school was not overly appealing. I would rather be out doing stuff rather than mm-hmm. sitting in class. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this or not. And honestly, it was probably just a little bit of fear that kind of yeah. kept me away from that. And there's some days I look back and go, man. You could have. I, I, I know I probably could have, but I just wonder, like, what things would have been like. But I, don't, I don't, wouldn't want to go back and change it either. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to be a vet forever. And then I kind of had, like, a midlife crisis as a junior in high school. I'm like, man, I don't know if I can do this. I don't really want to. What am I going to do? So I said, I'll just, I'm going to keep it simple. I thought about, for a while, Mom and I talked about opening a restaurant because um, she did a lot of catering. We have our own weeby cooking. Um, so I thought about kind of doing that. And then at one point she was like, okay, if we're serious about this, you'll probably – never really get to do anything else and at that point I was like nope nope I gotta go do something else maybe yeah, I'll, a restaurant really does tie you down I'm just saying, uh, like, not a lot of travel. maybe yeah. I'll come back someday and I I told a couple people actually just last week I'm like that might be my retirement plan when I'm done maybe I'll open up a restaurant and just sit and have fun with it oh my god um I don't know that probably is not the key words about opening a restaurant sit and have fun yeah I'm thinking like you know the owner like they always say, oh, we'll open a restaurant. I love to cook. And you're like, the owner never gets to nope. cook. All they're doing nope. is ordering all the yeah. time and hiring the staff and whatever. Yeah, maybe you should, like, 
go and have somebody open the restaurant, and then you could just be the social host there. You there know, we go. And sit and have the fun, right? That'll work. Yeah. Got to work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you ended up in back and then... So so I was still debating. I'm like, shoot, I don't know what I'm going to do. Then since I'm like medical interest, I thought about my babe. Mom was all in on this. She's like, you should just be a chiropractor. And I was like, yes. that'd be fun, but no. So I, don't, I don't like people that much some days. And then I got to be a teacher instead. Go figure. Um, <laughs> so, so I kind of had a midlife crisis and I panicked and I went back to, okay, what do I like doing? I like doing stuff with the livestock. I like the ag industry. Let's be real. I'm going to do something in the ag industry. I just don't know what. So I kept it simple, and I said, let's just go animal science. So that's mm-hmm. what I did at Casper. Um, mm-hmm. And then when I switched to Iowa State, I'm like, we'll just do this. Well, when I switched to Iowa State, it was kind of right in the time where all the AI stuff was really blowing up in the sheep side of things. And I kind of worked on and off for um, Tyson Rule, Rule Sheep Company. Mm-hmm. And so and, and I got to do a lot of really neat stuff them over AIing, having those big days when they flew people in from Australia mm-hmm. and, you know, brought other uh, vets in and things. And I was super fascinated with that. I thought it was awesome. And so at one point I was like, well, maybe I could, you know, yeah. start a company, do something like that. And it, I kind of chickened out again. Um, life lessons from Weeby, don't chicken out on stuff you think sounds cool. Because <laughs> had I actually got started on that, like I could have probably been like, on the I don't know if I would have been, I definitely forefront. probably wouldn't have been like RSG level, but I could have had something kind of pretty neat going as far as like the sheep repro stuff yeah. goes. I was, uh, so I looked into that a little bit, and then when I got to Iowa State, um, kind of feeding off of that, I had a class with uh, Kevin Kimley. It was an entrepreneurial class. Mm-hmm. Loved it. I was like, I could actually legitimately turn into a business with this. And so I kind of kept looking at the animal route. Um, but when I got to Iowa State, I was like, I don't, I just don't quite feel settled with this. I don't really know, you know, I really like animals, but I, I really like doing other things. Animal science, I could pretty much do anything I really want to with the AS mm-hmm. degree I have already and my background knowledge and things. I'm like, I really don't need another animal science degree as much as it would be, you know, fun to keep going through these classes. And I kept getting hit over the head, sign after sign after sign. God's just like, do I have to slap you in the face or what <laughs> to get you to turn to Ag Ed here? Come on. Like, yeah. What do I have to do? What do I do? So I thought about stuff. it, and I thought about it. And I've had, you know, I've been super fortunate. I've had some really great people that I've worked with, teachers, coaches, things to, you know, help me get involved. Yeah. And I finally was like, maybe I should just look at Ag Education. And at that point, I was kind of thinking more like a 4-H coordinator or, or something kind of that Mm-hmm. area that level not necessarily actually going in the classroom um so i went and talked to my advisor and i'm like hey what do you think about this? what do you think yeah. and she's like okay i don't normally tell kids you know go change immediately she goes but i'm gonna send you literally just go right across the lawn here go talk to this guy over in the ag ed department um he'll kind of walk you through stuff so she gave me dr paulson's name oh my gosh and i literally she's like just go right now and so i literally walked over there and he's like okay here's the deal we can get you switched into the college of ed we can get you switched into ag ed but he goes but you pretty much have to do this like today yeah and i went uh and he goes because either that or you're definitely adding on at least another year and you're probably stuck in all these classes and i went well that kind of stinks like i'm not exactly made of money so maybe i should do this so i literally switched everything that day didn't didn't really look back um i still probably honestly spent more time in the animal science department than i did in the ag ed department um but when you're you know 
livestock judging and meat animal eval team and some of that stuff too. Kind of yeah. that's where you're gonna end up spending your time. I know. Anyhow. I was an ag business major and I and I was with Ansi and I was like I was in the block and bridle and all those things and so you spent all your time in the Ansi, which is fine because for me it just had to financially work out. Like sometimes you just have to do this. Yep. To make it work. Yep. I was I was a transfer student in as well. I was not going to pay for another year of school. I already had this math. I was a math geek. I had this math and business background. It just made no sense to go for three more years when I could get out in two, you know, kind of thing. But, gosh, I'm glad you did it. Yeah, no, it it was interesting. And then, like, uh, mom and dad's ag teacher, his name's Mr. Apple, he was at at the county fair there kind of right after I switched. I had gone home, or maybe it was the next summer. Either way, I ran into him, and at one point, um, when I was in high school, I'd been dragging siblings or whoever else across the fairgrounds because he's there all the time. And, I, and he turned to me and he goes, actually, you're going to make a great ag teacher someday. And I literally laughed in his face and I said, that's never happening, Mr. Apple. <laughs> and basically like walked away to keep doing our stuff. And so a couple years later, after I switched, I saw him at the fair and I said, hey, Mr. Apple, guess what? And he's like, what? And I said, I just switched to ag education. <laughs> and then it was his turn to laugh at me. He's like, he's like see, I told, told you. Ya. Yep. Told you. I know. Well, looking back, you know, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. And mm-hmm. after you've been in the industry for 20 years, 30 years, then you think, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that. But, you know, our path generates us to where we are. Oh, yeah. And so if you're not on this path, you don't become who you are. To make it look back and try to correct it. I mean, it just seems, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But gosh, what great insight. I know. Yeah. So, so yeah. And here you are. Here I am. Ten years later, you're yeah. a Muscatine, you know, out here taking 370 kids, 40 kids around and teaching yeah. about the industry. Yeah. That's awesome. I think your family life prepared you for 300 and some kids. Yeah. I kind of. Like the uh, chaos of, you know, when you come from large families, you like, you learn a lot about management and Well, and just people. how to interact with different personalities. Right. And to keep it all going. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that too. Multitasking. Yes. Multitasking. I always talk, I always ask my guests at the, in the middle or sometime in this podcast, you know, it's called Ladies in the Lead, She Stock Shows. So if somebody comes up to you and says, Ashley, you stock show. What would you say to that? Like, what does that mean to you? Um, do stuff with livestock, do stuff. I, and I tell the kids, my students and people all the time. In fact, we just had this conversation when I was out in Arizona this weekend. The livestock industry goes because of the connections with the people. Like, mm-hmm. the the animals are just, like, our tool to build connections with other people. Because really, without those other people, this thing's just not as much fun. No. And I'm not... I'm, People assume I'm kind of an extrovert. I'm actually a, <laughs> I'm a closet introvert for sure. The animals and, and, and this agriculture thing just kind of brings me out of my shell probably a lot more. So if you see me around a stock show, and I'm, I, I have two go modes. Stock show go mode, which I kind of put on my RBF, like... Um, <laughs> A serious go mode face. Smile ever. I can't uh, even imagine you. No, that face. if you see me at a stock show and I look like I'm intensely pissed off, I am sorry. I'm just very <laughs> focused. I didn't mean to offend anybody by that. Yeah. Just, and, and I think most stock show people get that. But like at our county fair, I know there's people who are like, I don't know if I should come talk to you today. It's like it's okay. I'm just in. I'm hyper focused because I'm very. I, I really enjoy what I do, mm-hmm. and I want to do things really well. Like, I'm the kind of person who's, like, quality over quantity. If I'm going to do this, it's going to have my name associated with it. I want to do the best possible job that I can. Mm-hmm. That's good. So you tell all these kids. Yep. Tell me, what's, what are some of the biggest challenges right now for these kids that are jumping into these projects? They're 7th, 8th, ninth graders. Some of them, it's their first exposures to showing lambs. I've seen you 
you know, up at Cedar County, bring a whole crew of kids. And some of them, it's their first time in the ring, right? Mm-hmm. You know, some of times it's their first time and you're out there coaching them. And I mean, we're all helping each other out. But what do you think is, I mean, as a teacher and a mentor to them, what's their biggest challenges getting going in this stock show thing? I think just understanding, and some of them pick it up really quickly, that how much preparation is truly key. Mm-hmm. Because, like, it doesn't matter how much you know, it doesn't matter how much you have watched and observed other people and, like, mimic them in the show ring, unless you've actually put the work in at home and you've spent the time with your animal and you understand, okay, when I go into the ring, if something goes wrong, I'm not standing right there to tell you, oh, the judge is coming around front. You need to make sure you get off to the side. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm not there to troubleshoot when things go wrong. I can't hold your hand in the ring. Um, so making sure that they just understand how key preparation is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tell them all the time, proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance. Uh, the P rule, I say, follow the P rule. <laughs> I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. I was say, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to like play this back like five times to get all that. The P rule. You, you can think proper prior planning prevents Prevent. piss poor performance. Or I yes. usually with them skip that one and just say poor performance. Yes. Uh, no, you can thank Colby Birch. Yeah. You, you can thank Colby Birch for that one. He was like the master of like uh, motivational quotes. Man, we had like a whole binder of stuff. Uh, most judging teams have like a yeah. binder of things that they go through. But like our first part in our binder was all motivational stuff. And man, I I still use all that stuff all the time with all these kids. Yeah. Do you think? I mean, I think a lot of these kids, you know, just have never had. To do all that kind of work before. No, like, they don't. They do not they understand they, the responsibility like, and, and what it right. means. And I think, honestly, a lot of them, it just requires failing the first year to figure it out. Like, I've had several kids who are like, oh, I think I'm doing a good job. And then they get to fair and then their animal's not cooperating and things don't go well. And they're like, why Why do I not look like this person out here? And I said, well, you haven't put the work in like this person. Yeah. And, and sometimes I need to kind of check myself, too, because sometimes I'm super patient. But there are other times where I'm like, figure it out, kids. Yes. Because I sometimes forget how having a very, you know, rich background in this stuff prepares me mm-hmm. at a young age yeah. to go out and do these things. Whereas these kids, if they've they've never had aunts and uncles who have helped them, they've never, you know, yeah. they're literally starting from ground zero. Yeah. As and a 14 so, and 15 year old. Right. And right. so yeah. you forget that, okay, kids, we're going to clean out the pens today. What that means. What that, that mean? Okay. That means don't wear flip flops. That means you're going to get hot and sweaty. That means bring something to drink. That means, okay, now today we have to have a lesson on here's how we use the pitchfork. And, okay, if you shove underneath, you get more than if you fling two pieces of straw up in the air and you have to start over. Or we're going to move gates around. That means don't pull all the rods out of the gate and then go try to move. You know, you have to start literally ground zero. But... I mean, think of how much more, I mean, I got a lot out of showing and I got a lot out of the stuff. Think of how much more some of these, you know, these other kids are getting. And so it's, I sometimes really struggle with the fine line, you know, you hear like Freddie 4-Hers and all this stuff. I sometimes really struggle with that because from doing this stock show thing at a high level, they're like, okay, Mm -hmm. yeah, if people aren't trying and people don't care, it kind of irritates those of us who want to do it really well. Mm -hmm. But at the same point, everybody's got to start somewhere and right. some of these people just literally have not been blessed with the fortune of you know having people to show them how to do some of this right stuff. and some people are way more intuitive to be able to watch like you said you right. went and watched you know I remember um I was a just a tag along one time at a show and I was probably nine I didn't have my own stock but I went with my neighbor friend and I got there and this gal show box was just chaos 
I couldn't mm. take it. Like, I just sit there. I mean, as a nine-year-old, I'm, like, cleaning her showbox for her just to get it organized, you know, because I knew I wanted it to be presented precisely right. and excellent and clean-looking and those kind of things. Some people don't have that intuitiveness or don't have that drive. And so, you know, you do have to... I will take my own children, for instance. Some of them didn't always get how to flick the poop or that we clean mm-hmm. up afterwards, you know. And so, yeah, it's like sometimes you have to start way at the beginning. But I will say, like, I can see in your kids when they come back, like, the next year, those who, oh, I'm stepping it up. I'm getting oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, like, you can, and they can, you can see them progressing. Yeah. I mean, and I know for a fact these kids that only experienced stock show in high school and they don't have that collegiate experience or whatever. But when they're 25, they're going to talk, they're going to run into somebody who did show sheep or something. They're going to be like, hey, wait till I tell you about how we did it. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, they're going to have that opportunity. Well, that just life lessons to look back and reflect on. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you're a mentor, a coach, just a teacher? How do you feel like, what's your, like, how do you define yourself like in that? I mean, do you take on personally for each kid, or do you let them coach themselves? It, you know, because there's so many. Yeah, it, I would say kind of all of the above, and honestly, it really just depends on the kid. Because some kids, like, if they start from ground zero, they really need their handheld through a lot of stuff because yeah. they just don't no. understand. And it's it's no fault of their own. They just they just don't understand. And a lot of our kids coming out anymore are very, I, I need lots of reassurance. I, I've seen a distinct difference with our kids, like, probably the last five, six years, mostly post-COVID, of where I need constant reassurance because I'm not sure I'm doing it right. Mm. And they're so afraid of making a mistake that they they don't try it unless you're there to help them. Yeah. Which is good good and bad in a way. Like, it's good because they're being cautious and, you know, they want to do things well. But at the same point, it's like... At some point, I can't be there to hold your hand. Like, you're going to have to give this a whirl kind of on your own, too. That's what I always love about the show ring. Yeah. Like, there you go. (laughs) Like, you're on your own. There's if your gate. steer's yeah. acting up, you better figure it out. If your lamb gets away, you better figure it out. Yeah, that kind of thing. Who was your biggest mentor? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I think it kind of went in stages, honestly. I mean, both my parents have been extremely influential mm-hmm. and, you know, played a huge role in what we're doing. And, and Dad obviously helped drag us to these shows and took us around mm-hmm. and, you know, got us really started kind of in things but at some point it was our project like if we didn't go out and do the work we weren't going to go to a show um if we didn't um you know help feed if we didn't do some of that stuff and I think the younger kids kind of got by kids I mean my siblings here Mm -hmm. probably got a little more spoiled in the fact that because you know Jake and I probably liked it a lot more and spent more time out in the barn we probably got way more out of the show experience than they did and it meant we were still in the barn doing some of that. So they probably didn't get as many opportunities to do some of the extra stuff as we did. Mm-hmm. Um, which in some ways is kind of nice for them. But in some ways, you know, they yeah. kind of lost out on a well, lot of opportunities and things too. Yeah. But I don't know. If they also get the, advantage of springboarding where you started right. at the beginning. Yeah. They get to start where yeah. you've learned like at, and springboard up. Yeah. I mean, like I look at Matt. I mean, he's he's become an extremely good showman. Right. Um, and I think he started so much younger and at such a different level than we did. You right. know, I look at my first show, like, oh, here's Ashley and Jake with Elvira and Elmira standing out there with our our <laughs> little boots tucked into our pants. pants, uh, pants yeah. And our, you know, oh, and our halters and things. And then I look at Matt in his first show and he's standing out there, head over, ears propped up. I'm just like, there's a, <laughs> there's a, there's a little different level yeah. of what we're doing. I went to my first state fair with a stock rack. 
in the back of the truck, you know, and I'm like, I'm so proud. And I had Chubby and Hubby, my lambs. And yes, one was a little overconditioned, Chubby was. Anyways, um, yeah, so, you know, when you start there, and I mean, I was stalled next to a gal from our county who ended up winning the state fair this year. So I'm standing there looking at my lamb and I'm looking at her lamb and I'm like, you learn a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. That's cool. So your parents are a big influence. That's awesome. Yeah, parents for sure. And then, I mean, lots of really good judging coaches kind of growing up. Um, so like Nate Brugman and Garrett England would have helped kind of coach our 4-H mm-hmm. team. And then Christy Jackson uh, really kind of helped propel us at the end. Um, definitely gave me the last little push that I needed there. Uh, and then my aunts and uncles, for sure, mm-hmm. um, Stacy and, and Darcy and Todd, um, were super influential in, in just pretty much anything we did, really, as far as, you know, picking out, and Terry, for that matter, um, as far as, like, picking out sheep, helping us find projects. Um, for the longest time, we didn't really have a spot to keep cattle at our house, and uh, uh, Todd and MK live right across the road, so we would walk over there. And then um, kind of like my older sister figure, um, Anne, lived right down the road. So we did a lot of stuff together with Anne growing up too. She went to shows with us. Her uh, When I had Paprika, her and uh, she had a, a steer scout that we kind of kept together. So we had people to do stuff with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like in college, I you know I had lots of really great coaches, lots of really good teachers. Um, Heath Warnaker was fantastic out at Casper. Obviously Colby was pretty influential as a coach. And I still talk to Colby pretty frequently uh, through the sheep thing. Um, and then uh, at Iowa State, my coach was John DeClerc, and I think he helped really kind of springboard my ability to put words and things together a lot more eloquently in, in reasons. I think Colby really helped kind of get me past the I need to be louder. I mean, I, I seriously credit all of my speaking abilities to livestock judging mm-hmm. um, because when I well, was growing up, like I missed I don't know how many church and um, school uh Pat, you know, Christmas programs, things like that, because I would literally get so nervous that I would physically get sick. Yeah. Like, I did not know how to control my nerves. And I think I think more kids today could benefit from mm-hmm. being put into positions, like in a show ring, in a judging contest, where they have to figure out how to control their nerves, because most kids just don't know or how. Or they avoid it. Or they completely avoid it, and then that just makes it worse the yeah. older they get. And, and I think I am, you know... Working especially in a middle school level, I see so many kids that they just they just don't understand how to control their nerves or emotions that, for that matter. That just builds confidence, right? And right. confidence we know is really the the key, like yeah, that makes everything else happen, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm five foot nothing, and I walk around like I'm six foot something just because you know I I'm confident enough in my abilities, or if I'm not, fake it till you make it, really, because yeah. fake confidence builds real confidence after a while. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes, it does. That's what I tell my kids all the time. I'm Big like, confidence. you might not feel like you know what you're doing with the creed, but if you go in there and pretend you do, people are going to believe you do. That's true. So, Tell me this. Tell me, what do you think your edge is? What makes you different? What makes you better? Uh, better, I wouldn't say necessarily anything. And, and I, I, the fact mean, that I, just, I say that, you know, because yeah. as women, we have these conversations, right? And I, I'll ask people, what's your edge? And I, it's not a conceited thing. I think sometimes no. it's a matter of understanding what your strengths are, right? So what do you think you're good at? What are you good at? I, I, I might not be the smartest. I might not be the fastest. I might not be the strongest. But gosh darn, I will probably outwork anybody. Um, I, think, I think work ethic is one of the things that I probably have down well. And if I can't figure it out, I will find somebody who will help me figure it out. Because, like... I, I tell my kids at school all the time how important setting goals are. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I've set some goals. I have a bucket list. I have things that I want to do. And if it's something that's on my list of goals, it's going to be very hard-pressed to stop me from trying to conquer those things because I understand that I have the ability to go out and work and 
figure out how to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Like raising sheep on a single ag teacher's income plus trying to buy a house, like, it is challenging, but (laughs) I'm going to figure out how to make it happen because I really, really enjoy raising sheep, and I, you know, that's kind of where my passion and where, you know, some of my, all of my free time goes to, Um, but at the same time, you know, I understand being fiscally responsible, and owning a house is probably an important thing, too, so I'm going to try to figure out how to make, you know, all those things fly. So your work ethic, that's awesome. Yeah. That's something that was ingrained in you, or do you think you had a moment where you were like, oh, I can do this harder, I, I, I can do this better, I can do this? I think a lot, I mean, our my parents did a fantastic job, I think, of raising us, and I mm-hmm. would say all of my siblings have a, a oh, really great good. work ethic and whatever we do. Um, like, my brother Jake does a great job of bouncing his, I mean, he's he works tons and tons of hours um, at his job and then comes home and farms and then, you know, takes care of the yard and, and does all those things too. Um, and my sister Brooke with her nursing stuff, like she works some crazy hours sometimes and now she's got two little girls and she's, I mean, getting it done. Oh uh, yeah. The get it done. Weeby's getting it done. Weeby's getting it done. Yeah. That's right. We, we be doing work. <laughs> we be doing work. All right. So if somebody came to you and said, I want to take it to the next level. Like, I want to be, like, they're standing there at the ring, and they're watching, and they want to be in the top three at State Fair in a sheep class, and they're not there. What would be the first thing you would tell them to do? How do you level up? Um, I would, well, it kind of depends on where they're at in the moment, and I'd say, okay, what are we doing now that's working? Mm -hmm. What are we doing now that we need to fix and improve to make it better? Mm -hmm. Do you need to work on showmanship? Do we need to find a better sheep? Do we, or Mm -hmm. calf, or whatever it is, you know, kind of, kind of just, Reflect on where you're at and make a set goals and make a map for going forward. Mm-hmm. Do you have a moment in your career you remember doing that? You remember leveling yourself up, like distinctly saying to myself, yourself, I can do better. I'm going to figure out a way to do better. Or do you um, think it was just like this gradual incline you just kept going I, up and I up I think and the up? first couple of years, I think when I started student teaching, my first kind of like aha moment with that was I, I honestly wasn't really sure I was going to teach I loved my student teaching. I mean, getting to work with Fowler was amazing, and you know, I sure do miss that big guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. But at one point, I was kind of like, I don't, I don't really know if I'm going to teach. You know, maybe I go extension, maybe try to figure this out. And he, he basically took me aside and said, Hey, you have too much talent at this teaching thing to not at least give it oral. Give it one mm-hmm. year. If you don't like it after one year, walk, go do something else. Because if you don't like it after a year, you're probably not going to like it. If you like it, then you're honestly probably hooked until you find something different mm-hmm. um and so and by the end of my student teaching I I and I wasn't sure at that point if I just loved it here because I did my student teaching here mm-hmm. um I yeah, really that's true because you have a unique program here I mean it's yes very vested it's yes. very community-based yep. it's big it's big it's got with, a lot of money behind it with this ag center I mean who wouldn't like you know using this facility all the right. time um and so I really wasn't sure if it was just here that I liked or what. So uh, my first year, and they, they kept saying, oh, we're just, you're just going to stay here. I'm like, you don't have a job. I can't work for free. Yeah. Like, I am a broke college student. Then, right? No, yeah. not at that point. Well, they were, it was the first year of the middle school stuff when I student taught. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so then I went up to Northwest Iowa, taught for a year. I loved it up there. I, I was fantastic. I was at Gretinger Terrell, and they shared with Ruth Van Ayrshire. I loved that community. I loved those kids. It was it was fantastic. The only reason I didn't probably stay is because Fowler called and said, "Hey, it's official. I turned in my papers. You come back. Uh, I think you got an interview Monday." And I was like, "Wait, what? Okay, mm-hmm. turn your papers, make it official." 
Because um, that's home base up there, Northwest. Yeah, I was, I was, I was closer to home. two hours from home. It was super convenient. Yeah. I get done on Friday, and if I needed to zip home for the weekend, I could, and it was fun. But yeah. I think one time, like before Sioux Empire, I even left in the middle of the week. We got done. Uh, I got done teaching, and I went home and helped sheared sheep for uh, yeah. the Sioux Empire show, and then zip back to teach the next day. So, good for you. That's yeah. a good. That's a good level up right there. Yeah. Go home, shear sheep. I know. Uh, yeah. I maybe know. maybe make for a tired day of teaching the next day, but no. So I would I would say. That was kind of my first aha moment with the teaching that, okay, maybe I can actually really do this and, you know, kind of make an impact. And then probably the second moment, I would guess, is uh, when I told my kids there at Grettinger that I was leaving and I was coming back here. And, you know, you don't think maybe just one year somewhere is going to make that big of a difference. But, man, saying goodbye to those kids was one of the toughest things I think I've ever done. I still tearing up now, yeah. even just thinking about it. I think there were some sixth grade girls that threatened to lock me in a closet because if they couldn't have me, nobody could have me. Yeah. Um, so that was just kind of a really cool, cool and sad moment of okay, maybe I am maybe better at this than I thought. Yeah, and you're making it such a difference and making an impact, and that's that's really why I keep doing this thing is to make the kids that I can see and making an impact in. That's why I do this. All right, How, if you're looking at yourself now, and you're talking to yourself at age nine. What would be the best advice you'd give yourself? Um, don't be scared to try things. Isn't that and, funny? And do things. That is like, I don't know how many people say that, right? Yep. Like, now looking back, we have all this confidence. We've had these experiences. And then we look back at our nine-year-old stuff and we're like, gosh, I wish I would have tried this or done that mm-hmm. or done this earlier or whatever. So if you're listening at all, anybody who's under the age of 18... Just go for it. Try it, you know. If you're not, I mean, obviously, I'm a very take-calculated risks kind of person. I like to, obviously, we've said I like to be a planner and make sure I'm prepared for stuff. Yeah. But there are sometimes, you cannot prepare for everything life no. has to throw at you. And sometimes you just, you, you gotta know, go for it. Sometimes. You say a little prayer and, and say, hey, I hope this works out and yeah. just give things a try. That doesn't mean, obviously, like... It doesn't oh, mean that Don't do gonna, something stupid, okay? Yeah. And it doesn't mean you're always naturally going to be good at it. No. Or successful. I think so many times we wait for the only things to take risks at things we think we're going to be good at. Yeah. Right? Well, and like, so then you never know. Like, you, right. You never try. Like, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, like some of the contests I probably, like poultry judging, I didn't really know a whole lot about what I was doing at the beginning, and mm-hmm. now it's, besides livestock judging, one of my favorite contests to coach and mm-hmm. I didn't get good at it overnight it was a hey kids we're gonna sit and practice we're gonna figure out how to get good at this and we've mm-hmm. had a pretty strong record yeah. of success after that so that's good that's cool oh my gosh I could talk for <laughs> hours I could you Maddie couldn't you sit yes. and talk about this for hours oh, yes. I know but we're gonna wrap it up because for our listeners some of them like to get out of the car eventually <laughs> I always think about that when they're driving along and they're like okay we gotta get out oh my gosh so I always wrap it up with round of Rapid fire questions. Okay. Okay. These are just boom, 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 boom. So we get to know you better. First question out of the gate. Always, always, always. Everybody wants to know what shoes do you wear to the barn? Um, whatever shoes I have handy. Usually, um, I'm I'm kind of turned into after three knee surgeries. I'm kind of a tennis shoes person anymore. Yes. So are it's, you an on clouds kind of person, or are you a? I have a pair. T- yeah. I have a pair. I'm. I have mixed feelings about them. Because I can only wear some shoes for so long before they start to irritate either my knees or my back. Yeah. I sound like I'm 100 years old. I promise I'm not actually that old. <laughs> um, so I like my on clouds, but also they're so lightweight and breathable that sometimes my feet get cold in them. Yeah. 
So I do wear them. They are they are currently my barn tennis shoes. So it's usually either them or a pair of Hey Dudes. But Hey Dudes, I can I can't wear those for more than a day, and they yeah. just it's out. They're too flat. They need to wear some shoes. Not enough support. I know. Usually tennis shoes. What music is playing in the truck or the car when you're on your way to a show? Um, it depends. If I'm by myself, probably podcasts anymore. I've got tons of podcasts I like to jump around and listen to. Otherwise, probably Red Dirt. Yeah. Um, If there's kids with me, it's probably, there's probably nothing playing because either I'm trying to get them to converse with each other or I'm just spying in on their conversations. (laughs) Intently listening. If any of your kids listen, they're going to be like, oh, quit talking. Miss Weeby's listening. (laughs) No, they're like, sometimes you're awkward to ride with because you just sit quietly and listen. I'm focused on I'm like, I'm trying to get to know you guys and also kind of low-key paying attention to where we're going. What music plays in the barn? Um... Red Dirt, probably. Huh? Probably Red Dirt. Otherwise, if I got my earbuds in, it's probably, honestly, a podcast. I've kind of turned into, a, a, once again, I feel like an old lady, just podcasts anymore. But I'm constantly trying to learn things right. or catch up on things. And so that's kind of, that free time is usually when I have to listen to those that's things. That's awesome. Cool, cool, cool. All right, here's the big question. Favorite state fair, Iowa or Minnesota? Uh, when it comes to, like, the actual livestock shows, Iowa, no offense, Minnesotans, but you all know Iowa blows the pants off Minnesota. It is not even remotely close. When it comes to, like, hanging out with people, sitting and enjoying, and just kind of nostalgia, then it's probably honestly tied. Um, Because, I mean, Minnesota State Fair, growing up there, it's got a lot of history. And I've been super fortunate to have some successes and learn a lot of things and meet some really, really cool people there. But also, it's Iowa State Fair. So you really can't go wrong. I know. Okay, one show that everybody should show at if they get a chance to. Louisville. Louisville. If you're a sheep kid, if you're a sheep kid, Louisville. If you're a cattle kid, Denver. Um, pig kids. I don't even know kind of what like the Super Bowl is anymore. Uh, American Royal is kind of making a comeback. I would yeah. say maybe on the hog deal. Um, Phoenix is super cool. Shout out mm-hmm. to my Arizona people since I was just out there. If you get a chance to like travel somewhere you don't normally go and see something really different, I know it's super expensive and I know it requires a lot of time yeah. off and things. But go somewhere different. I when I was out at Casper, I did get to show at Arizona National, mm-hmm. and it was super fun. Really enjoyed getting to go somewhere different. It's a drive down there. It. Oh my gosh, is it a drive? But you know, what you think about like junior nationals for cattle. People come from Oregon, California to oh, the yeah. Midwest. I mean, there people are committing to that. You guys, I mean, make it a. Make we it all a know our vacations your, are the stock kids, shows. Seriously, so, seriously yeah. that will be some of the biggest things that your kids remember if you get to do some of those things. Favorite so. fast food restaurant. Uh, you have to choose fast food. Uh, Culver's. I don't know. I don't do a That's whole a lot good of choice. I don't do a whole Midwest. lot of fast food. If you're, is there Culver's on the East Coast? I don't know. Is that just a Wisconsin? I, I definitely a Midwest thing. I know that. Good cheese curds. Okay, I'm just saying that's yep. a really good thing. Yep. Last thing: up early or stay up late? Early. I'm an up early person. Me too. I like to be up early and get things done, and I. I function better earlier in the morning than I do late at night anymore. How's the time change working for you? <laughs> Actually, not too bad, to this be honest. This is, like, the best. I mean, you feel like you sleep in a little bit. You're still up early. It's killing me, though. It's 7 o'clock at night. I'm, like, tired. I'm in the chair. And yep. I'm like, oh, I can't do this. I can't sit down. Yep. No, this dark thing's killing me. It's killing me. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm much more of a fan of the summer light hours, for sure. College football or pro? College. Oh, Although I am a major Minnesota Vikings fan, but just in general... College sports, I think, are significantly better than pro. Yeah. Favorite species to show? If you can only uh, show one. Showing sheep, fitting cattle. There you go. There you go. That's it. Oh, my gosh. 
Ashley, thank you so much for yeah. being a guest today. It's been fun. It is so fun to have you. And I mean, we're so lucky we get to have you in Eastern Iowa and we get to watch this community grow. But thank you for being somebody who really exemplifies what Ladies in the Lead is all about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Trying our best at the where we're at. Right. Giving it back. Setting the bar high. Yeah. Excellence. You know, achievement, dedication, all those things that do it. And then yet still being okay with saying... I want to learn. I want to grow. I can still do this. I well, think it's such an example of... Yeah, for it, sure. And, you know, to be somebody who is like, like you said, buying a house, trying to raise sheep on your own, you're not waiting for check marks to happen before you start all those things because that's... Otherwise, it'll never happen. Right. Owning it is kind of the thing. And yep. so it is really, really a, just a great honor to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah. And I hope everybody enjoyed this as much as I have. And that's a wrap for another episode of Ladies in the Lead. I want to thank Austin Garner for being my producer. I'm your host, Joan Garner, and we can't wait to see you guys out on the road. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and of course, check us out on Facebook at Joan Garner. We'd love to see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.